Abba Yahweh, you have given me another day, breath in my lungs, this day that you have created, that you will walk with me, guide me, teach me, show me through your Holy Spirit, Father, and help me to deliver your truth, knowledge, and wisdom to any that would hear and listen and heed your words and seek your face and the Bible that you gave to us, your assurance, Father God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to share a couple things with you. We're going back into the English lesson today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So, um, I'm going to share a couple words with you. And um, it just reminded me of some of uh, things as I was growing up and, and things that I saw, things that I witnessed, things that I'd learned. And now that's become a, a collection of knowledge that I have. And I would like to think that I'm wiser for some of these things. But one thing that I learned, that I did learn from my earthly father, that of course came from our heavenly father. And I know this because I witnessed a lot of things. And it was <laughs> an assurance to me. Now, there's some things we're gonna we're gonna study a couple words here, not really pour into them heavily, but just that you have to understand that there is a prevailing difference between the word insurance and assurance. And there is a grave, grave difference between and there are individuals that try to use as they do biblically, they do uh, here verbally, they try to use words that are not synonymous. And they cannot be used interchangeably, but yet they do. And that's that's just ignorance. That's not anything bad. Don't get your knickers all twisted up if you think that you're ignorant. That just means that you have a lack of knowledge. It doesn't mean you're stupid. So don't get all twisted about that. And if it applies to you, then take that and do something about it. Correct it. And if you want to get all offended, then that's your choice. But the word, it's just like that. People try to use the word ignorant and stupid interchangeably, and they're they're not. They're not at all. They mean something totally different. So it's just like the word insurance and assurance. There is a profound difference, and you have insurance, which is is uh, contractually written down, and there's usually an exchange of monetary funds to uh, and companies get hired to ensure that. Uh, there's no loss of property or, or F damage occurs that it would be able to be taken care of and not a loss and that they, as part of a, I guess you'd call it an investment. But sadly, and adversely, and I'm right smack in the middle of something right now, that insurance companies are far from uh, an assurance that something is going to be done taken care of. They find clauses, they find reasons, and they find every means available to them now that they can in order not to have to expend funds that they have that are will be required of them to put forth in case there's any kind of a, a damage or anything done. And, and these companies... 
they take money that you pay in as a premium and their the money is invested so that there's money that they have available and and they uh, it saddens me it does now an assurance is something completely different assurance is it's a positive declaration to give confidence. And there was a song many years ago, I remember as a, as a young person, um, and I used to hear it in church, and it was called Blessed Assurance. And it was... You know, I always, uh, I had wondered about it as a, as a child. And, uh, and I, I had thought about it, but then in looking this up and, uh, I've been thinking about this. This, this song is actually beautiful. Um, I'm going to share with you right quickly. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my... This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst in my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy. Whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, pardon my little outburst there. It couldn't be helped. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's an old song. This is an old song. And, uh, but it's also beautiful and powerful if you think about it. You look at what goes on, look at everything that's going on around today. Everything. Assurance is a promise, a pledge, and a guarantee. Jesus has promised that he is coming for us again. And that we are. Wash in his blood. That he voluntarily came and did this. Why? As an insurance against that day. What am I talking about? That day, that day when we are taken to heaven and that day, and you see it in scripture, it's talked about that day, capitalized. That day is the day that we will stand and we will either be told, welcome home, my good and faithful child, 
in the scripture, it says, welcome home, my good and faithful son. But, you know, a lot of people get their knickers all twisted up and get knotted, and then they sit in comfortably in the swimmer because, oh, that's so gender specific. Well, get over yourselves and understand this, that in those days, culturally speaking, they spoke that way. It's got nothing to do with predominant gender. So here you go. God's going to tell you, welcome home, my good and faithful son or daughter, or usually... I'm thinking, and I use this more often so people don't get their knickers all twisted up. Welcome home, my faithful child. They want to hold on to something that is so bound up and get caught up in being offended that they completely forget about the assurance that we're given. The assurance that the Lord has given to us, and he came. He came as the insurance policy against that day. What does that mean? That means that we have a guarantee if you accept that. But here's the thing. You have to accept that fact, just like any insurance company. You can either accept the insurance or you refuse and you go on your own. And there's many people that are driving their automobiles and stuff around out here. They're not paying any insurance and they don't have any. So why do you think that no fault insurance has to be carried by everyone? Now that's a requirement. It used to be not a requirement. Now it is a requirement because so many people forget that insurance. But let's look over here. Let's, we're going to jump on this other side for a minute. Why would you not accept the insurance policy that the Lord offers? People choose not to accept that. They don't want to accept, and they feel that it's too much of a responsibility. And sadly, I'm going to touch on this again, there are slothful, lazy Christians that believe the same thing. They're not about our Father's business. They're not about sharing the word. They rarely go to prayer meetings hardly ever pick up a Bible and open it and read it. And it seems like the only reason that they come to God's house is because their spouse has bothered them to, to do so. And there is, they'd really rather not be there. So my point would be, why? Why, when you have such an insurance policy it's so binding. And and here's the thing, that God, unlike insurance companies that are on the face of this earth and that are on this plane of existence, that seek every reason and insert clauses to get them out of having to take care of what they're supposed to be done. And here's the sad part too, is that these companies many times are paid by a larger company in order to take care of employees, and yet they do not. They fail miserably at doing that, and some are left out in the cold. And it's a shameful thing. They find reasons to exercise a release from the contract. And people do that these days. God doesn't do that. His blessed assurance glory divine. It's a foretaste of that glory. He has promised that this is going to happen. He has promised that it's going to take place. And I've shared this with you before. This is 
God's assurance and assurance is a promise or pledge, guarantee, a guarantee that this is going to happen. I have empirical evidence that has been laid out before me that I have seen proof. For me, it's proof positive. I, I, there's, I can't, I can't deny it. I can't refute it. It's just laid out there and seen too many times. The glory of God. His promises are true. His assurance is guaranteed. It's ironclad. Ironclad. Whereas you will find things out here that that are of mammon, of man, that are flimsy, frail, and flap, and the first strong one that comes along, they tear. Assurance is the full confidence, the freedom from doubt. Satan wants you to be full of doubt. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you to be dismayed. But has God not told you, be not afraid nor dismayed? Be of good courage for I, thy Lord, thy God, am with you whithersoever thou goest. Not from point A to point B. If you jump on a train in Los Angeles and you're going to Chicago, the Windy City, and you're on that train, point A to point B, you know, and the stops in between, yeah, God's going to be with you. But that's not what God is totally talking about. So many people misunderstand what God's telling us. It means that, but fully more, it means that wherever we go, to the high peak of joy, and happiness and elation. And you're up there and you're like, yes, God, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The uh, new birth and you're just so, so happy. You're so pleased. Or you have a loved one that came back from being far away and didn't get blown up by some buddy they were fighting. And so happy to see them. Or... You have somebody that leaves this plane of existence and and it's sad to you because you really cared for them a lot. You love them a lot, but they're gone now. Um, or as David says in, in Psalms, that it doesn't matter where he goes. It could be across the farthest sea, he takes wings of flight and he goes across the farthest sea. God's going to be there. He could be, as many describe now, he could be going through hell. And I've heard the term, man, it's just a living hell. My boss this, my boss that, the deadline's this and the deadline's that. So they get all bound up and they caught up in that, but God's still with them there. So here's a reasoning thought. Why are you allowing yourself to be caught up in that? And that is very, very true. If you are allowing yourself to be caught up in that, you are going to be bound up in that. You are going to be, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a pleasant place to be. And you can resist that. You can rebuke that because we have give, been given power and authority over that. Jesus gave us, gave us that authority and he spoke it openly to the disciples that he was with there, but he speaks it openly in the word of God in the book of Luke. I've shared it with you numerous times. 
And that's part of that white noise interference that Satan tried to do. I'm I'm constantly in prayer here because I'm Satan is really coming at me hard because he knows that I'm doing this thing that I'm doing now, sharing and being about my father's business. I want to do that. But he also knows that there's some turmoil, tumultuous things that are happening right now. And he wants me to get caught up in that and my possibility of my loss and this and that and the other thing. And he wants me caught up in that, but I don't want to be there. Why? Because it's dark. And that's one of those things that I'm talking about, like the boss and the time frame and all that stuff. He wants us bound up in that so that we have this stuff. However, I have assurance that Jesus is mine. I have an insurance policy. And now I see some of that print that's coming out and that blank contract that I that I signed for God. And now he's revealing to <laughs> Yahweh Amen. And now he's revealing to me that part of that blank page that I signed on, there is an insurance. Insurance because Jesus came, manifests on this plane of existence for us all, the opportunity, and that is our insurance policy. However, here's the proviso for that, or the caveat, as some might call it. You don't have to pay anything. The only thing that he asks that you do is that you share his truth, his knowledge, and his word, and give all an opportunity to have the same insurance and same assurance. That's all he asks you to do. And yet, sadly and adversely, there are many that will find an excuse as to why they can't do it or won't do it, or they just plain don't do it. And for me, for, for what I see, and I, I witness Christians and I've heard them say this and found every excuse as to why not to, that my Lord, my King, my Savior, my sacrificial lamb came. He didn't give our Heavenly Father an excuse as to why he couldn't do it and why he wouldn't do it. One time, in his weakness, once, and the Bible talks about it. When he was in the garden, he was so deep in prayer and praying so hard. He burst his blood vessels because he was praying, praying so hard. And the one time, one time into his weakness that he asked that this cup be taken from him. What does that mean? That cup that he was carrying, that he was going to be crucified. They were going to kill him. And I'm fairly certain the scripture doesn't say exactly, but it does say that he knew what was coming. Did he know everything? I don't know. But I'm sure that he's going to share that with me when we have time to sit and talk. And then I'm just going to be bawling my eyes out because he didn't find an excuse as to why he couldn't do it, like the slothful, lazy, so-called self-proclaimed Christians and those individuals that say they can't share the word because they have a lisp or their leg is sore and they can't get out. They have no way to get and do it. I didn't think I did either. And then God threw this in my lap and said, yeah, you do. Be about it, my son. Be about my business. You signed that contract, here you go. Here's a way to do it. And the story of this is that 
I was trying to find out how to do this because I had an individual tell me that I ought to do this because I was disturbing people by sharing the knowledge that I have and what that tells me something, but I didn't look to it as uh, I did for a moment and I had to pray about that. I had to repent from what I was feeling and being agitated. But see, that's where the devil wanted me to go. But here's the thing. This is a positive thing. And I asked God, I said, Father, and I was trying to find this and it was gonna cost a lot of money to get this started and going and, and production and editing and equipment, sound equipment, and yada, yada, yada. But it was gonna cost a lot of money. And I said, Father, if this is something that you condone and you think that this is a good way for me to share your word, your truth, you make it happen. You make it happen, Father. You will make it happen. I was thanking God for the opportunity and boldly approached his gate and thanks and praise and worshiped him and boldly approached and said, hey, Father, you make it happen. This is what you would like me to do. You make it happen. Wasn't arrogant in that. It was bold and came to him. And the next thing I see is on the very same page that I was in in the computer, now I have this logo put right before my face. And then I re started looking at him and look, it's all free. It's all done free. I don't have to have a. I don't have to have uh, publications. I don't have to have editors. I don't have to have special sound equipment. I don't have to have any of that, and it's constantly being upgraded and changed. And, and God did this for me. Why did He do this? For the same reason He came for me. What was He thinking when He came and died? He was thinking about me. Brothers and sisters, each one of you should look in that mirror and say, Lord, why? And then you see yourself in there and you say, just say, thank you, my Lord, for coming for me. Because that's what he did. When he came and he hung on the cross and he died, he died for each and every single one of us. Every one of us. And he died for those Pharisees that were insisting that he be crucified because he was saying things that they didn't believe in because they had determined that they were smarter than the Son of God. They determined that their reading, the scrolls that were written of men and given to Moses to bring to the nation and declared that it was his law that he was in violation of as bringing the truth and not realizing that he is the law of Moses. And those words that Moses brought were his to begin with. And yet they wanted him crucified because it took away from their authority and they liked their authority. They didn't like that. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus look down on them and say, oh, now you're gonna get it. My heavenly father who had me come down here He's going to get you now. He never said any of that. He never, what did he do? He raised his head to heaven and in tears, he then he looked at them and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they didn't because in all of their arrogance and all of their pomposity and all of their vaunting their authority over everyone else, they had no idea, none whatsoever of what they were doing. And that declaration of their intellect and their 
mental prowess, being above the Son of God, the Word, who was with God from the beginning. Remember what it says in John 1? This is who they hung on the cross. And he didn't declare that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what did Jesus say when he stood in front of the Sanhedrin? Many, many times. You see me, you see the Father. You know me, you know his truth. But you don't know me, and you don't hear me, and you don't recognize me. Why is that? Because you speak the language of your father. And your father is a liar, and your father is a devil. Oh, that really ticked him right off because Jesus spoke the truth. And there are individuals to this day, sadly, adversely, in, in our own, within our congregations, many, that actually prefer lies over truth. And you look around and you see many countries that are practicing that same thing. They prefer to be told lies and false comfort, false directions. They prefer that. Why? Because it comes easier than truth. Truth is a difficult thing to walk in sometimes. And people prefer to be lied to rather than truth. Just like I've shared with you, and a lie is a lie. It doesn't matter. It's easier to lie to somebody about that dress making them look like a circus big top tent. Then... And it's easier to lie and say, oh, no, no, that's a good, that's a good pattern. It's a good color. No, nah, it makes you look lovely. How about these pants and the shirt and this tie? They go together. Oh, yeah, yes, honey, it makes you look handsome. You're a good looking guy when you dress like that. And then they get out in public and their friends who always tell them, have always told them the truth, all through grade school, through middle school, through high school, and even into college, have always shared them in truth. And then the truth comes out and says, oh my goodness, why did you wear that? That makes you look like Bozo the Clown. Man, that tie doesn't even go with your socks, doesn't even go with your shoes. Oh my gosh. And why are you wearing those colored shoes? My goodness gracious, they don't even go with your suit. Oh my gosh, it makes you look like Bozo the Clown. She didn't tell him the truth. She lied to him, thinking that she was going to spare his feelings but the truth came out. And then, adversely, you see that she went into the bathroom with the, her friends. I, why do women do that? I've always wondered that question. I've always, always had that question. So, now they're telling her the truth. Oh my gosh, Susie Q, that thing makes you look like a circus big top tent. What are you doing? You know that you're a big boned girl and you have to have a certain pattern. That thing makes you look humongous. My goodness gracious. Good colors, but my goodness gracious, it makes you look really a lot bigger than you are. And they tell her the truth. And he wouldn't tell her because he wanted to spare her feelings. People prefer to be lied to. Actually, they do. And people find it much easier to be lying than to tell the truth. Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I can't tell them that. Sure you can. As long as you're being righteous in it and you're not doing it to purposely hurt their feelings, that you're just being honest and truthful. No, it's not a good color. No, it's not a good pattern. It, it, it doesn't compliment you. 
it's not a complimentary dress and, and really it'd be good if we just got rid of it and maybe we let's go shopping let's get some new things turn it around but folks don't want to do that lying is easier to do for many than telling the truth and the word of god sharing the word of god sadly that's even done here and now People don't want to share the truth. They find it easier to lie. Do not lie when you're sharing the gospel and the word of God. Why? Because God doesn't lie to you. And he doesn't lie when he tells his word in the Bible. When he speaks in the Bible, he's not lying. Everything that he puts in here is true. So why are you going to turn around and twist it and lie? Oh, don't do that. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. thing that I'm going to share with you here too this is a this is a, a place that I think that we really need to be in and I'm going to share this with you and this is this insurance remember what I, I shared with you about assurance it's a strength it's a guarantee and it's a full confidence or freedom from doubt. That assurance that God, blessed assurance. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That assurance that the Lord has given us. Why? Because he came and he, being our holy insurance, paid that ransom. What ransom? That ransom that Satan was holding over our head over death having us fearful, afraid to die, having us bound up in all those things of the past and the things that were, what was doesn't matter. Remember this, I was one way and now I'm not. And what happened in between was him. Him who? Him, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my insurance, my Redeemer, who came and paid my fee for insurance. He paid it. He paid it in full. There's nothing that I can do, no payment that I can make, no matter how much work I do and labor on this plane of existence, try to earn whatever I earn or whatever they decide they want to allow me to have. And there's no way that I can pay that back. Monetarily, none. The only thing, the only thing, the only thing that God has asked is that I share the truth of the scripture and the words that he gave us and that we have with us every day and we share his truth so that everyone would have an opportunity to be saved and have a meeting at the gate when they get there and say, welcome home. Welcome home. My good child, welcome home. I'm glad you're home. Thank you. That's the only thing that he asks. And there are so many that won't do it. There are so many that refuse to do it. And so many, sadly, and the Bible tells us there must be these things to take place before I come again. There will be a great falling away before he comes again. What does that mean? That means that there will be great many that walk away from the church and say, I can't keep doing this. It's getting too hard. I don't see God. I don't hear God. 
I can't feel God because they're not leaning in to listen to his word. They're not opening their spiritual hearing. They're not allowing their spiritual eyesight. They see and they're bound up in all this conflict that Satan throws at us. I don't want to be bound up in this thing. He's trying to throw that heavy and hard on me now and take me away from what God has me and asked me to do. I don't want to leave this. I like sharing the word of God. I like talking about God. I like talking about Jesus. And I like the fact that the opportunity is there for everyone to have the chance. Everyone can do it. All I got to do is tell them about it. It's easy to do. You say, yes, I believe that Jesus is from the beginning, was with God, is God, part of God, in and out. And just like he tried to share with the, the Sanhedrin, hey, if you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know him. And if you know him, then you know me. And they wouldn't have any part of that. They refused to hear any part of that. But here's the other thing that assurance gives us. And, it, and we can read about this in Second Timothy. First thing that I want to share is Second Timothy 1 and 7. And this is my assurance. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be of one spirit, one mind, one thought that God is our heavenly father and Jesus came and died for me. He died for you, and he did that. What was he thinking about before he came? He was thinking about me, and he was thinking about you, and he didn't think of any excuses to why he shouldn't come, or why he, and he could have. And here's the thing that you have to understand this full well. Open your ears and read the word. Hear what I tell you because this is a truth, and this is the authority from God telling you this. Jesus, at any time, could have and didn't called a host of angels. And at that time, when he was present, instead of being crucified, he could have said, Father, send them. And 10,000 angels would have come from heaven to pick him up and destroy this world and set him free. And yet, he did not do that thing. Instead, he allowed himself to be beaten nearly to death that he could not walk to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He couldn't walk. Had to have someone carry that beam of the cross and he walked, still stumbling and falling nearly to death because they beat him so much. And then he was placed and nailed and lifted up. And here's the thing too, much like the serpent, when Moses lifted the serpent, all they had to do was lift their eyes up. And that in and of itself was a symbolic. Lift your eyes up, quit looking down at the snakes and feeling yourself and crying and whining, God, why, 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 why is that? Well, it was your sins that got you there and you're still looking downward, but lift your eyes up. And Joshua argued with Moses, but Moses just told him, he said, hey, I'm doing this because God told me to do it. 
and you're not worshiping the snake, don't worship the snake because then that would make it an idol. That's not what God told Moses. Didn't say, come and pray to the snake. He didn't say that. He said, you make this snake and you lift it up and anyone that looks at it, I will see them lifting their eyes and then they pray to me and they'll be okay. And if they got bit, then they'll be healed. That's what God told Moses. Joshua, of course, he didn't understand. He was a young warrior and a fighter and he thought that Moses was declaring idol worship with the nation of Israel, which that's not what he was doing. He was following what God told him to do. They were to lift their eyes up. And much as that very same thing, let's apply that analogy over to the son of man being lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross. Lift your eyes up from the darkness that surrounds us. Lift your eyes up and see that he died on the cross. The difference being is that he is worthy of praise. He is Yeshua Aman, Yahweh Aman, Paracletos Aman, because they are the Trinity's spirit. They are the Holy Trinity, the spirit that God sends us to guide our steps and guide our paths. They guide us through the word when we have things that we don't understand and things that are confusing, that he will guide us through the word. He will teach us and he loves us. And we know this. In 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, I'm going to share this, these words with you because Peter talks about this. And this is part of our assurance. Part of the insurance policy, I might say. Whom have not seen ye love. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen God? So many people say they can't see him, they don't hear him, and they turn away. But having not seen him, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. But you open your eyes with spiritual eyesight, open your ears with spiritual hearing, hear his truth, his knowledge and his wisdom, and do praise and glorify him. Because we enter his gates with thanksgiving, we cross the courts with praise, and when we enter his house, we worship him, because he is Lord God Almighty, our sovereign, our creator, and Jesus, the only begotten Son of God who was sent manifest in flesh and came here. Why? To ransom our souls. He paid that. We have the opportunity to be saved in return. And Paul carried that assurance with him. Paul in Second Timothy was... Uh, he was getting ready. He was actually in prison in Rome. And uh, when he wrote the letters, I mean, he wrote to Timothy, he wrote to Titus, and he wrote some letters to the other churches. But he was he was getting ready to die. And second, second Timothy was his second letter to uh, Timotheus. 
who he called uh, and this is what he called Timothy. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, Paul, Paul was never married. Paul didn't have any children, but he, he loved Timothy. Timothy would hang on every word that he spoke and was a good and faithful follower. And Paul considered him to be his child. He loved Timothy. Timothy loved Paul. Here's the thing that we read in, in 4, and this is the assurance that, that Paul carried with him all the time. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. What does that mean? And that means that sometimes there will be those that need to be rebuked and sometimes there will be those that need to be rebuked. So if you're not sharing the word of God and you're not doing what God has called us to do, get up off your lazy tail end, get out of that recliner and get out and do it. That's a reproof. That's a rebuke. I kind of lumped in the same thing, but that it's done as long as I'm doing it in righteousness. And I'm not going to sit there and call you out by name. I'm not going to point out. I could sit right here and I can recite names perfectly and I can point the finger, but that's not my job. That would make me judging and I can't do that. That is not my job. My job is to share the word and put that out there. And if you hear what I'm saying and you think about what I'm saying, and then the Holy Spirit reveals to you that, Oh goodness, he's talking about me. I got to change that. And then you pray. That's what, the, that's what I share. I share the truth. It's not for me to judge you. And just like many people do, when you refuse to forgive someone, you are putting yourself in the judgment seat. You are usurping the authority and the sovereignty of God Almighty. And you decide that you are going to judge who's worthy to be forgiven. That's not your job. That's not your position. You do not have that authority. Jesus did not give you that authority. What authority he did give is to step on the heads of serpents and step on scorpions and to face down the power of the enemy himself, which we have that authority. That means that Satan can't take that thing from us. What he can do is he can get in our minds because it doesn't matter what your intellectual prowess is, the weakest point of attack is the mind. And he knows that, so he's gonna use that. You had Einstein, you had Sir Isaac Newton, you had Jonathan Nash. They were brilliant minds, physicists. Oh my goodness gracious, the formulations and things that they would put down. Nash was very famous for this. They actually, they actually cut a movie and made a movie with him. Russell Crowe played in it. It was called Beautiful Mind. But this was a true story of this man who had a brilliant mind, but he saw things and he allowed the demons to take over. And that point of attack that Satan used was his mind. You had Sir Isaac Newton had second thoughts about what he did and formulations he did. Albert Einstein did the same thing. He had formulations, but he had second thoughts. And Satan uses that. And it weakens the person. When you start having second thoughts and you have doubts about what you're doing or what you should be doing, and you start questioning what you're doing, 
instead of going to the Holy Spirit and going to God and talking to God about it, you start allowing these things to fester. This is that white noise interference that Satan is really good at. He is an adept tactician. I've shared that with you. He is that very good tactician. Rebuke that. Further reading, 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, listening to the rumors, listening to the rumor mongering, listening to the lies, listening to the false truths, listening to evil doctrine, listening to false doctrine, false teaching. And then they want to go see you when they say, oh, Jesus is over here in a basement. He comes and he stays with us, uh, you know, for the weekend. Come on, come on, come on, come on. What did the Bible tell us? If they tell you he's here, he's there, don't listen to them. Go to the Holy Spirit, be in prayer. And there's going to be that time, the false teachings, false doctrine. People are going to tell you that he's there. And they're going to draw you in. There's going to be miraculous things that are going on. You're going to see it and you're going to believe. You're going to say, wow, he must be there. Look at all these things that are happening. The tactician is working. Be cautious. Be careful. Seek ye first. And what does that mean? That means that you seek first the truth. You ask the Holy Spirit's guidance, but you try the Spirit. John tells us to try the Spirit in all things, in all things, and the Spirit will lead to truth. But if you go into these things and you don't try the Spirit and you don't ask the Spirit's guidance and you just go headlong, you're going to get caught up in these things. You're going to get so distracted by all these things that go on. And that's what Satan leads us into, distraction discomfort, and then you're done. But not until God tells you so. That's where I stand. I'm pretty much invincible. And I shared this with other people. I said, when, until God tells me I'm done, I'm invincible. And even through this thing that I'm going through now, and it's hard to hold on to that, but I have to declare that thing to myself. Until God tells me I'm done, I'm invincible. It's a hard walk. It's not an easy walk. And many people want to downplay that. But the truth is that until God says so, I am his apostle. I'm his preacher. I will share his truth, his knowledge and wisdom. And whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to share, whatever I'm told to share. Abba Yahweh. Abba Yahweh. It's his truth. Continuing, Second Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into, unto fables. Those who prefer to hear lies over the truth. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions to the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that have his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychius have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil, and the Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be he laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And strength, and strengthen me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto the heavenly kingdom, to whom would be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisha and Aquila on the household of Onephesphorus. Sorry, those are big, long Roman names and kind of hard. <laughs> Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Melentum. He, he became sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Yibulus greeted thee, and Pudens, and Lanus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. That was the second letter that he wrote to Timothy. And it was important because he was giving and sharing that blessed assurance that he had in his belief, in his faith, that that day was coming for him. And it was coming, Paul knew. And I've shared with you before that most of his writings, probably I would say 90% of the letters, the epistles, and things that he wrote to the churches, 90% of what he wrote was he was either under house arrest, he was in chains, or he was actually in prison cells. This second letter from Timothy, he knew that he was about to be executed. And he knew that was coming. But he also knew and firmly believed in that blessed assurance. For me, brothers and sisters, it is like I used to see in in the day when I was a youngster. And I would hear men cite these words to one another. My word is my my bond, brother. And they would shake hands. There was no written contract between the two. When there was something going to be done, they would shake hands and say, you, they would say things like, you've got that. I'll be there. Yes. 
it'll get taken care of. And they would shake hands and then they would go. They would go the separate ways. And on that appointed day and that appointed time, I would see manifestation of truth. I would see the manifestation of the promises that were made. I would see the manifestation of the assurance that they gave one another in word, not in written contracts that people demand to have nowadays. But here's the thing in those contractors, contracts, they, they have to have clauses and contracts that get them out of it. And they hire lawyers to talk them out of it. I am so glad that what God has given to us is his truth, is his bond. And his word is his bond. And where did that word come? That word came in Jesus, who was with God from the beginning, who was in God, with God, was God, and became manifest and came to us, to this earth. And that bond came and tried to share truth and that knowledge of God's truth. And there were those that rebuked him. Again, I share with you that assurance that God gave us and his guarantee. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then they talk about John the baptizer. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And John, of course, we know was not Jesus, was not the light. And he declared that. But that was Jesus's earthly cousin because you remember that his mother was Mary's sister. And when Mary came and she hugged her, she hugged Elizabeth and, and greeted her, that Elizabeth declared that she felt John leap in her womb. He leapt in her belly. It wasn't just a kicking baby, he leapt. He knew who was there. His earthly cousin, but his heavenly Lord, and he went to prepare that way. Brothers and sisters, I am speaking God's truth, his word, his way, that everyone would have an opportunity that hears what I share, would have an opportunity to become an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Know this, and I share this, and I always tell you the truth, the declaration that this is not an easy walk, and it's not an easy walk because there are many that will come and be adversarial against you. They will come, they will taunt you, they will tease you, belittle you, be, degrade you, but here's the thing, must be strong in the word, strong in his assurance that he is with us always. The empirical evidence that I have stacked up in front of, and it doesn't take a great deal, all you gotta do is just, and I believe it doesn't take a great deal of, of argument and it just present it and it's there and I see it. I know that it's true. So I fight this white noise interference, this, these assaults that come from Satan and his minions. I have to do that because if I don't, then I'm going to become like so many others. I'll just become that number. But I'm counted in his number. 
and his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom that I share on the truth so that everyone would have an opportunity that hears what I'm sharing, would seek his truth, seek his face, get in the Bible, get in the word, and then say, I do, I will, let's go. I do believe that Jesus came for me. I do believe that he is your only begotten son. I will have faith in you. Holy Spirit, let's go. I do, I will, let's go. That's it. That's your new mantra. That's all you have to do. That portion is easy, but remember this too, that he will always be with us.